Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 10th chapter, the 26th to the 33rd verse. Jesus is talking now about the proclamation of the kingdom, about the expression of his word in the midst of the world, and he's addressing the twelve. And it says, Jesus instructed the twelve as follows, Do not be afraid, for everything that is now covered will be uncovered, and everything now hidden will be made clear. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the daylight, and what you hear in whispers, proclaim from the housetops. He's talking about their relationship with him at the present time and where that's going to lead them. Obviously, their inner discussions are about the mission of Jesus and the truth that Jesus is imparting to them and revealing to them, about the relationship that they have and he has with the Father, and about the necessity of what people have to know in order to be saved. And so he's saying to them, these private conversations that we've had, these, these quiet conversations that we have, they will be uncovered. In other words, they will be made public. And everything now hidden will be made clear. So that he's referring now to the hiddenness of his mission at the present time. That he's referring to what's going to happen to his mission and his word and his presence. When in fact he knows he will be no longer here to guide the apostles along their paths in person as he has been thus far. And he says, when this happens, and they don't know what it is yet, but he does, when this happens, don't be afraid. And I think that that's, um, that's something that, I don't know, that's something that we have to reflect upon a lot over the ages. Don't be afraid, and yet we think then of the Roman persecutions. Should they have been afraid of the Roman persecutions? Should they have been afraid of what was going to happen to them? Certainly, we know that St. Ignatius of Antioch, on his journey as a prisoner um, from Antioch to Rome, speaks to the people along the way. And as he speaks to them, he gives them instructions about what is to take place and about how they are to be faithful and how they are to remain cohesive and one in their unity with one another. He reminds them of all those things. And as he reminds them of all those things, then he also looks forward to his own death. And he said, this is what's going to happen to me. He was not afraid. He said, please don't try and stop me because this is how I'm going to be witness, first of all, how I'm going to publicly witness to the Lord and how I am going to earn my own salvation or be accredited to my own salvation for I have been willing to die for the Lord as a witness, not just to my fidelity to him, but to my concern and my care for his people that they understand that the relativity of death, that it is not an absolute end, that it is not everything is not over when we die. It is, in fact, a beginning, a new beginning in a different kind of life. And so he says, do not be afraid. And what are we not to be afraid of? He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Fear rather him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. 
In other words, if there's going to be any fear, let it be a fear of the righteousness and the justice of God. Not that we live in trembling and fear. It's not like, you know, the, uh, I don't know um, how many of you had to read as going through school somewhere along the way, Jonathan Edwards, uh, the 17th century English um, New England divine who, uh, who preached the famous sermon, um, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where he says, you know, we are, we are, as sinners are like on a thread and God is holding the thread, dangling us over the pit of hell, longing to drop us in. That's not the image of God that comes forth from the scriptures, and it's not the image of God, certainly, that comes forth in the proclamation of Christ. The fear we have is not that he hates us and wants us to be punished. The fear that we have is the power that he has over our lives, and that we cannot afford to take that lightly, to trivialize that, to be ignorant of it, to in any way, shape, or form you know, to be dismissive of the role that God plays or the power that God plays, for he does have the power. He does have the power to destroy us. Not that he desires to do so. We, we hear also in the scriptures, he does not desire the death of a sinner, but that he be converted and live. God is the God of the living. He is not the God of the dead, as the gospel says. And so it is that he desires everything that he has created, everyone that he has created, to have the life that he has given them in the beginning. We can talk about, in some ways, what this might mean and how how we might certainly have some anxiety about the kind of the direction of the contemporary world is going um, and how basically there is a deliberate assault on God and a deliberate assault on his goodness. But he says that be afraid at least of the power of God so that if you think somehow or other you can dismiss him, you think somehow or other you can do combat with him, you think somehow or other you can in any way, shape, or form um, try and destroy him, be careful, for he is the one who can destroy everything in hell. Then he says, can you not buy two sparrows for a penny? The sparrow was the least valued creature, living creature, in all of ancient Israel. There were so many of them. They were so tiny, and they served no real purpose to as far as the people were concerned. And yet, Jesus is now saying, you know, you can buy two of them for a penny for a sacrifice, and yet not one falls to the ground without the Father knowing. This is how intense and exhaustive and expansive the Father's knowledge is. He knows and he keeps track of the life cycle, even of, one, even of the millions of sparrows, one by one, as they fall to the earth and they die. And their lives, he is aware of them. He is aware of all of that. And, you know, and then we think, we stop and think about that, that certainly of the couple billion people that there are, human beings that are on our earth, the billions of creatures that there are on the earth, and, and Jesus, in referring to his father's awareness and his consciousness, is to saying that he has a detailed knowledge of each one of those creatures. Can we even comprehend a consciousness that is that expansive, that deep, that profound? I think back often on the, on the theologian Zachary Hayes, as he says of St. Bonaventure, who reflects that, that the cosmos is a glimpse of the consciousness of God. If we want to, in any way, shape, or form, imagine God's consciousness, know 
that, that the whole cosmos is simply a glimpse of the totality. It in no way, shape, or form encompasses the totality of the consciousness of the Father. So when we think in those terms of vastness, which are really, it really is beyond our ability to comprehend or even to imagine, but Jesus nevertheless assures us that it is true. And if we believe in the Lord Jesus, we believe what he says. And then he goes on to say, why every hair on your head has been counted. You know, we talked about the billions of people. Think of every hair on your head being somehow or other in the awareness and the consciousness of God. So there is no need to be afraid. You are worth more than hundreds of sparrows. And so he says, we should not in any way, shape, or form fear that God will overlook us, that God will ignore us, that God has forgotten us, that God somehow or other is not present, is not aware, does not know my internal suffering, does not know my sorrow, my pain, my grief, does not know the fears that I have in this life, does not know the failures that I've had in this life, does not know all of my sins, but all of my virtues as well. God knows it all. And if we think basically as the cosmos being only a glimpse of God's consciousness, we have to admit that in a vastness beyond our comprehension, that there is a totality of knowledge of all things and a care and a loving concern for all things. For after all, he is the one who is our father. He is the one who has brought them into being. Everything is of him and everything is from him and everything returns to him. So if anyone declares himself for me in the presence of man, I will declare myself for them in the presence of my Father in heaven. And so Jesus says, how do we then connect with this vastness? How do we connect with this being whose consciousness is beyond our wildest imaginations, our capacity to grasp anything? How, 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 do, we, how do we somehow or other come to him and this is a thematic in the Gospels when Jesus says, no one goes to the Father but through the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. How do we go to the Father? We go to the Father through the incarnate Christ. He became part of our world in order that we can't come to know him. And as he says, in knowing him, we know the Father. When we reduce the Lord simply to some kind of historical figure or some kind of a... Uh, kind of a, a moral example of some kind, um, we do him a grave injustice. For he is the presence of the infinite in the finite nature of our world. He is the presence of the transcendent in the very imminent experience of our life and of our world. And if we wish to get beyond our world, we must can only do so through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, it is a deep reality within the human spirit, within the human soul. Life, life in this world for many people can seem like it's confining, can seem like in some ways it's kind of suffocating. And so for age upon age, humanity has striven to get beyond this world, to get beyond their experience of this life. We see it, for instance, even in Greek mythology of the, of the man who uh, made wings and, and uh, out of wax but flew too close to the sun and was destroyed. He was trying to get 
beyond the confines of the earth. We find it in modern society. We find it in all the ideologies that swirl around us. We find it historically within the lifetimes of, of, of our older generations in the sexual revolution of the 60s, in, in, the, uh, in the drug culture. It was a Timothy Leary that, you know, to, tune out, turn on, and trip out or something. Um, you know, escape reality escape reality with LSD, move into that which is uh, psychedelic, that which is beyond anything that we could experience in the normalcy of our lives. But what happens with that, it ends, it gets over, and some die because of the abuse of, of, of the narcotic. We find also in the, in the frenzy of uh, the heavy metal era of American music. Somehow or other, if you get frenzied enough, you no longer feel confined by the ordinariness of your life. It's kind of a breakout from the ordinary. And um, that, that same kind of thing we, we can do with all sorts of emotional realities. We find it, for instance, in some of the um, in some of the religious experiences of, of the old-time camp meetings and so forth, when uh, um, people get, they get, they say, seized by the spirit, but what really happens is that they themselves are attempting to escape from the, from the finiteness, from the carnalness of their world, of their existence, and try to claw their way then into the presence of the divine. But Jesus said, says, somehow or other, all of those things come to an end. We can even do so with the intellectual realm. We can do so with the political realm. The great quest for power, it is the quest to overcome, to get away from the ordinary, to have control and power. In other words, for many, it's the, it's the quest to, to play God. We find that in American politics, for instance, let's play God. Let's redefine the human person. Let's, let's uh, throw off all sorts of restraints of normalcy and all sorts of rational restraints and try and experience something that frees us from ourselves, gets us out of ourselves, and gets us into another form of being, another form of life, which is, which is an experience of freedom. This is a movement, intellectual movement, which has taken place in, in, in the world since, almost since the turn of the last century. Certainly came to the fore in the 1920s and 30s, and certainly has manifested itself in the 21st century. In the, uh, in the espousal of, uh, of the transgender movement and so forth, this idea escaping from who I am so that I can create who I want to be. It was, uh, it was something that back in, in, the, in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, that the, the intellectual atmosphere was one that was saying, you know, that was beginning to understand in the realm of radical feminist deconstructionism that somehow other biology was a patriarchal oppression. And that somehow, therefore, we had to destroy the biology of who we are in order to experience the freedom of who we could become. And that theory then morphed itself into, into the, the theory of transgenderism. In fact, as, as early as the early 1960s, um, they were doing transgender uh, surgery. I remember an American, um, <clears throat> whether it was George Jorgensen becoming Christine Jorgensen or the other way around, I don't recall, but it was an American who, uh, who flew to Denmark, I think, 
um, in, in order to have transgender surgery, in order that they could be somebody else besides who they were. And, uh, and, that, and that the way that they would be who they wanted to be was that they created it themselves. They were not dependent on, on biological determination. And uh, which the radical feminist deconstructionist identified as, uh, as patriarchal oppression. So yeah, so these thoughts have come. But will they satisfy the human spirit? No, they will not satisfy the human spirit. Jesus says, if you want the satisfaction of the human spirit beyond yourself, it is the Father. And in a philosophical sense, it is being itself. Do you want to get there? You come through me. In me, Jesus says, is your freedom. Not because I want to be in control of your lives, but because I happen to be the presence of all possibilities in human form among you, within you, with you. Um, and, and I am the one through whom you find that freedom that you seek that freedom that takes you beyond the ordinary from the suffocating limits of the, of, the, of the present moment into the infinite, the transcendent. Only through me can you do that. Well, we will strive and we will struggle whether we fly too close to the sun or whether we fly to Denmark or, uh, or, or whether, you know, we, we go to, through the, uh, through the, uh, um, gender reassignment, uh, consciousness of the contemporary age, no matter what we do, we will never arrive at that arena of freedom. We will never do so unless we, get, unless we find that freedom in being itself. In the scriptures, we refer to being itself as the Father, and Jesus tells us that we don't get there without him. Here, he says, if anyone declares himself for me in the presence of men, in other words, if you accept the reality of the structure of the universe and, and, uh, and declare yourself, therefore, to believe that I am the avenue into the infinite, I will declare myself for him in the presence of my Father in heaven. But the one who disowns me, that is the one who denies reality, in the presence of men, I will disown in the presence of my Father in heaven. And you know, this is, I don't know, this is an incredibly important reflection that the Lord gives us because it does touch upon a very fundamental, a very basic um, need in the human person. And so much of what we do wrong to ourselves comes from the desire to get beyond ourselves. Whether it's to say, you know, my marriage is suffocating me, I'm boring, I'm going to have an affair, or I fall into an affair. Whether it is somehow or other altering, trying to alter the person that I am in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's, uh, whether it's you know, getting into frenzies over things that are... Watch, watch for instance, some of the radical nonconformists within the society. Watch the rage and the anger and the frenzy that many of them go into because they're defending something which in and of itself is a failure. They're defending something which they know deep down inside, not consciously, but deep down inside, 
will not in any way, shape, or form be the ultimate liberation they seek. And so they become assertive and they become very aggressive. Somehow or other, I cannot stand alone and believe this. I cannot stand alone and do this. I must force others to think like I think in order that I feel like I somehow or other have succeeded in achieving my purpose, achieving my end. Well, you know, humanity has done that from the very beginning. Eve did it when she ate the apple of the tree of good and evil. You will be, as the serpent told her, you will be like God. In other words, you will have the ultimate power over life and death. And we have been doing it ever since, and we're doing it today. Is it a cause for concern? Yes, it's a cause for concern. Well, it's a cause for concern because it can entrap innocent people. It can weave those who are unaware and, and naive into a very destructive web for their life. But it also is very destructive to the proponents of it, to the advocates of it. Whatever, whatever the, the strange ideology might be and, and however strong this might be, that somehow or other it is bound and it will fail. And it will fail because either through the total dissatisfaction, through the lack of, of, of satisfaction that one gains from pursuing the end, or even just in death itself, the whole thing becomes somewhat irrelevant in death. So that eventually life itself is that which passes judgment on the desperate attempts of humanity to bypass the living God and to become themselves the gods of their own creation. So what Jesus is now saying, you know, is that what I say to you in the dark, tell in the daylight, and what you hear in whispers, proclaim from the housetops, tell the people, give them the opportunity, show them the way, the truth, and the life. And this doesn't come from our own brilliance. It doesn't come from, from our own ability to think these things through and to therefore tell you what I think about it. That's not what this is all about. It's all about what does Jesus say? How do we proclaim the Word of God, the infinite transcendent Word of God, in such a way that it impacts and affects the lives of human persons? How do we do that? Well, Jesus' euphemism for that is um, tell them the daylight and proclaim it from the housetops. And don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid to do that. Is it dangerous? Yes, sometimes it's dangerous. We, we, we see that. We see, you know, murders and shootings and stabbings and wars and all of those kinds of things. Yeah, it's dangerous to do that. But the greatest danger is to lose eternity. The greatest danger is to lose forever. The greatest danger is not to lose the present moment or a few years of our future, but to lose forever. And that's why the proclamation has to be made. And if we care about humanity, and if we care about those people whom God has chosen, whom God has created, whom God loves, if we want to manifest our love for God, we must manifest our love for his people. This is necessary. It's part of life. And it's, an ex it's, it's a crucial and, ex and part of life. Is it, is it the way, is it the, the way, the truth of, yeah, it must be that. And when we speak of our faith, we don't argue about, 
you know, um, trivia, and we don't argue about, we argue about the core of the faith. We argue about the transcendence and the infinity of the divine being. We argue about the fact that the Son of Man has become, is also the Son of God, and therefore is the embodiment of the whole, of the whole reality, of all reality in, in a human form, and that through him we have access and entree into the limitless expanses of the possibility of God's creation. That's what we do. That's what we offer humanity. And we do so because deep buried inside every human being, buried somewhere deep inside, sometimes so deep it seems impossible to retrieve it, there is an awareness of this. There is a sense of this. St. Augustine tells us very clearly that there is within the depths of the human heart at creation what he calls the memory, the intellect, and the will. And in the memory is a spark of the divine recognition. And in that, then, is what is to be developed and nurtured and formed and cared for and, 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 and strengthened by God's word and by his presence. This is the mission of the church, and this is the mission of Christians. Do not be afraid of who we are, because we are not being imperialistic. We are not being oppressive. We are offering a way into freedom and into the consciousness of who we are ourselves in relationship to the vastness of the whole universe. We are offering a gift. Offer it freely without fear. For the Lord then will bring us to himself and to the Father and will, through our words, help others also to gain eternal life. This then becomes the mission of the church, the mission of the priest and preacher, the mission of all people who believe. This is the heart of evangelization, and this is the heart of a faith which cares and which loves others. We offer, we do not impose. We offer, we do not coerce. We offer, we do not bludgeon those who disagree with us. We give them the opportunity, knowing that deep down inside of themselves, there is that spark of recognition possible that spark of recognition which is very much a part of their whole created being. We, can we touch that? Can we get through the layers of culture? Can we get through the layers of human experience and touch that divine spark within the soul of every human person and enable them in some way to allow it to recognize the source of its being, to recognize deep within themselves the presence and the truth of the living God who calls them and who summons them to eternal life. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.